gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news about the person and the work of Christ is something that not only saves us, it continually saves us and sanctifies us and it infiltrates our life. When we think about the Word of God, scriptures, before we get into 2 Timothy, I want to give you a little bit of a broad survey. Back up for a moment and let's just take a look and remember where we're at. So the Bible at a glance, I want to give you a helpful acronym, I believe, that will be encouraging and give you insight and even perspective on uh, where we are in the scriptures. The acronym is five letters, P-M-E-E-C, P-M-E-E-C. The first one, P, preparation. Now, as we look at the Word of God, that the Old Testament is preparation for the gospel, preparation for the coming of the Messiah. After the first two chapters of Genesis, basically the entire Old Testament, again, is looking forward to the culmination of God's redemptive plan and a suffering servant that will come and the good news of God will be manifested. So the first P, preparation. That's your whole Old Testament. Next, M, manifestation. The manifestation of the gospel. So you have the preparation of the gospel, the manifestation of the gospel, and this is the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where Jesus Christ is shown, he's revealed, he's manifested. We now know that the good news is the person and the work of Jesus Christ. So preparation, manifestation, and then expansion, the book of Acts. This is the gospel going forward to the nations. This is the church uh, growing at an unprecedented rate across the Mediterranean and across to the nations of the world. So preparation, manifestation, expansion, and then explanation. Explanation, E. And these are the Pauline epistles. These are the epistles of the apostles, whether it be John, Peter, Paul. This is explaining the gospel that was manifested. And linking and explaining how this gospel of Christ, this person of Christ, is the fulfillment of the Old Testament, but also instructions for how we are to live as a people and to live in holiness and righteousness. If you only have the gospels and the life and the work of Christ, you must understand that God himself ordained that that is still not a complete picture because we do not have the full understanding of what the gospel means, how that entails in our living. And so we have preparation, manifestation, the expansion of the gospel, and then the holy apostles who come to explain how and why that gospel matters, the implications of the gospel. And then finally, we have the consummation of the gospel, which is the book of Revelation, everything being brought to completion, the good news being completed. P. M-E-E-C, preparation, manifestation, expansion, explanation, consummation. The pastoral epistles that we have been studying are particularly in the explanation category. First Timothy, Titus, Second Timothy. It is as you read, the Apostle Paul says, here's the gospel. Here's what Jesus has done. This is what the cross and the resurrection mean and how now we as a people are to organize ourselves as a church and to live out the gospel that was accomplished. Now, as we live this out, this gospel, it is not an easy road. Matter of fact, 2 Timothy really deals with the suffering and the hardships and how to endure through them. Before we get into that, however, let's remind ourselves where we're at. And again, we're going to be a significant overview this morning before we get into the first seven verses only this morning. 
Where are we? We are in Ephesus. First and Second Timothy written to Timothy in Ephesus. Titus written to Titus in Crete. Now, Ephesus is one of the largest and was one of the largest and most impressive cities in the ancient world. It was a political, religious, commercial center, a place of paganism and religiosity for all of these cults and strange and mystery religions. It was, by the ancient standards, a megacity. By the time of the Apostle Paul, probably a population of over 250,000 people. When we look at Ephesus, even the ruins today, the grandeur of the ancient city is evident in the remains uncovered by archaeologists. So you can go and you can see the remains of the ancient amphitheater that could seat 24,000 people, a gorgeous library outlined in marble and stone, other precious stones. You have the Temple of Domitian, the gymnasiums, the public baths, the Civic Agora, the streets, the port city, even though it's all silted in now where the river used to be. So when you look at Ephesus, this is a major urban center. And it's here that a church found root. It found root in the middle of a place of great pagan worship. There's the Temple of Diana, uh, temple prostitution, occult, immorality. But in Ephesus, there was a great gospel conversion and revival as many people came to Christ at the preaching of the, the apostles and other witnesses. And as a result, there was great persecution. People pushed back against it. They didn't like that people went out living, leaving their old gods and following this new Jesus. So great was the conversion that people took their scrolls of witchcraft and, and other type of magics and they brought them and burned them in the public square to show everybody that we no longer belong to these gods and demons, but we belong to Jesus. Very dramatic. And it is here that Timothy as a relatively young elder, has been charged by Paul to oversee and to guide this church. How many of you would want that job? What a tough place to minister. Timothy, by this point, as we look through 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy and put together the pieces, we see that Timothy is probably exhausted. Timothy, from Lystra originally, his father a Greek, his mother and grandmother Jews, He was saved under the preaching ministry of the Apostle Paul and along with Luke became Paul's or one of Paul's closest traveling companions and ministry comrades. Timothy, however, is exhausted by the opposition, the division, the personal hardship, the spiritual darkness. And Paul in 2 Timothy is writing to encourage Timothy to press on, to endure Paul himself is writing from prison in Rome, probably around 68 or 69 AD. Now, the Apostle Paul was imprisoned twice in Rome. The first imprisonment is the one we tend to talk about most often. When he was chained to a Roman soldier, he had relative freedom to move about. But by this imprisonment, he is in the deep, dark shutters of a prison on death row with very little access to outside people. It's actually a miracle that he was able to get letters out at all. Even as you read 2 Timothy, the Apostle Paul himself seems to know that his death is near at hand. So 2 Timothy is probably the last book that the Apostle Paul wrote. It's the last letter that he wrote. And he writes to Timothy in the church to press on and endure. If I were to paraphrase 2 Timothy in the words of Paul, it might sound something like this. Timothy, the path of obedience is not easy, but endure the suffering for it is worth it. 
Timothy, it's not an easy road, but endure the suffering, for it is worth it. Let's look at chapter 1. Now, I'm not going to read anything. I want to give you just some uh, overhead uh, just sections here, and then I will read the first seven verses. But in chapter 1, the Apostle Paul leads off with encouragement to Timothy, encouragement for him personally with where he is at. And then in chapter 2, he then encourages him to endure, to show himself to be a worker approved by God. Chapter 3, he reminds Timothy that the, the, the suffering and the hardship is normative as a part of the Christian life. And to expect godlessness in this last phase of redemptive history. But to hold fast to the word of God, for it is the power of God. It's breathed out by God. Preach the word, Timothy, in chapter 4. Timothy, I have run the race. My race is coming to an end. But your race is still continuing. So press on. Keep going. It is worth it. And then in this grand last statement, he says, I know that God will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. Three things as we overview this section. First of all is the reality. Here's a broad summary of 2 Timothy, more in detail with some of the key themes. First of all, Paul lays out the reality of what Timothy is experiencing. That ministry is hard work. Christian ministry in general is hard work. Living for Christ in a hostile world is exhausting. That loving people is not easy and it's often discouraging and even painful, Timothy. Guarding the truth requires a ferocious diligence and building the church is a discipline of patient fervor. Being watchful over your own holiness is a wearisome task. You will be hurt by those you are trying to help. You will be persecuted and hated by others. And suffering, Timothy, is a normative part of the Christian walk. This is the reality, Timothy. Aren't you so glad you came to church today? But right expectations, but right expectations are critical to living out our lives here on this earth well. Because how many people think that if you are in the Christian life and if you experience hardship or difficulty or challenge or pain or suffering, you must be doing something wrong. And then it becomes the endless cycle of searching after temporal happiness instead of realizing that this world is fraught with hardship, especially if you are going to name Christ. For there is a hostile enemy who does not want you to live out the reality of Christ. So Timothy, life is hard. Not going to mince words about it. Here's the instruction, Timothy. Second point here, just an overview. The reality, now the instruction. Timothy, do not be ashamed of Christ. Share in the sufferings of the gospel. Guard the good deposit and trust it to the next generation. And Timothy, flee youthful passions. Continue in what you have believed, Timothy, within an age of everybody excited about the latest new fad and teaching and everything coming out. Paul says, just continue plodding forward. Preach the word, Timothy. Proclaim the power of God and endure suffering. Share in suffering. Expect suffering. 2 Timothy, in many ways, what it does is it gives us a theology of obedience in the context of Christian suffering. 
if we want to look at how we understand walking this Christian life, we recognize that living this Christian life is exhausting, isn't it? It is. It is tiring. It is wearisome. Sometimes we don't want to get up. Sometimes we don't want to come to church. So how do we press on? How do we endure when we've been hurt and when we have been betrayed, when the sheep bite other sheep? 2 Timothy is written to, in the midst of all of this, Timothy, I know you're tired. Press on. And then here's the hope that is laden throughout this book. The hope. Timothy, you are not alone. You have examples of faith, whether it be Paul, Lois, Eunice, or the ancestors. You have a people, a church alongside you. You're not alone, Timothy. And Timothy, Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. We will live with him. We will reign with him, Timothy. And the Lord knows those that are his. God has already shown his faithfulness. Remember that, Timothy. The word of God is powerful. It pushes back the darkness. It corrects and changes and and transforms hearts. And Timothy, a crown is waiting for you as well as all those who love the appearing of Christ. And God is going to make right the injustices. He's going to make right the wrongs. Nothing has escaped his view. And trust justice into the hands of God. And Jesus himself will stand with you through it all. And God himself will bring you safely into his heavenly kingdom. So Timothy, endure. Keep going. What is the application of this book and this text to us? Well, though written to Timothy as an elder... It is given to us by God here in Scripture for all to read for the benefit of the whole church because regardless of your vocation or your position, building the church is not for a few elite Christians. Building the church, living obediently, living the living Christ is a responsibility for all of us, brothers and sisters. And as we walk that road, it is tiring. And so this book is for us to teach us and to teach us a theology of the, of the Christian life with the suffering and the hardship that comes with it and how to endure through it. Many of us in life, though, we spend most of our life running from hardship and instead trying to pacify our feelings with entertainment or with substances or with unholy relationships instead of realizing that walking with Christ is going to invite the retribution of the world. But brothers and sisters, if we know what awaits us, we will gladly endure all things this side of heaven. But what's the problem? We don't endure because we don't grab a hold of the hope that Christ has given us. Second Timothy, in many ways, again, is a theology of endurance in the midst of hardship, exemplified in the Apostle Paul and then instructions to Timothy. So that's what we're going to be learning through. And this morning, let's examine Paul's greeting in the first seven verses. And let's pull out with some of this context in mind how Paul is encouraging and building up Timothy. Let's read 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1 to 7. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, 
grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus in verse 1. I want to give you five observations this morning out of these texts. Number one, Paul describes an incomprehensible calling. Paul describes an incomprehensible calling. A calling that does not make sense to the world. Paul, an apostle. Now, in our modern church, we view the word of apostle with suits and ties and Rolls Royces and success and power to arrive to that status of apostleship in the greater church, which, with which I strongly disagree in that caricature. But nonetheless, we look at it as a position of dignity. But in the ancient world, specifically during this time, the word apostle carried with it derision. It was a derogatory term. To carry this badge was to invite the refusal of the world. The Apostle Paul actually even describes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 9, when he says, I think that God exhibit us apostles as least of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels, to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, to the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed, buffeted and homeless. We labor, working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. Paul, an apostle. He takes on this badge and this identity realizing that it is a badge of derision to the world. Though in heaven it is a badge of honor and distinction for all of eternity, this world will look down on it and scoff. How much more, brother and sister, to be named a follower of Christ? Not just an apostle, but in our culture today, if you expect the term Christian to carry with it some sort of honor or dignity, you must understand that if you say, I belong to Christ, the world's not going to back up and say, wow, that's good for you. They're going to scoff and mock you for it. This is a reality to expect and not be surprised by. We live in a world that hates God. Timothy? I myself am an apostle, Paul writes, according to the will of God. It's almost like Paul is saying, Timothy, this is by the will of God, not by my will, because it makes no sense to me, right? Is, this, this does not make, humanly speaking, any type of rational sense why anyone would choose this life. And the world doesn't understand it either. 
But maybe remembering back to that moment when he was on the Damascus road and God appeared, Jesus Christ appeared and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And now you're going to be Paul, a light to the Gentiles. This badge and identity I wear by the will of God. It doesn't make sense humanly speaking, but it is God's will. And because it is God's will before heaven, it is full of honor and dignity, Timothy. Now what is holding... Paul in place. It's not his own will. It's not the notion that this life will be comfortable. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and what keeps Paul going? Finish the sentence. According to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. Timothy, I myself an apostle by the will of God, and I am here holding on in the midst of everything to the promise of life. The promise of life in Christ Because when Paul, and he looks at the promise to come and the life and the sinlessness and the joy and the honor and the dignity in heaven and the authority that granted to be able to reign with Christ, to see God face to face for all of eternity, when he puts that and weighs that in the balance, he says, anything is worth here on this earth when I think about the promise in Christ. But brothers and sisters, you know why so many Christians despair? It's because we don't think on or know the hope and the glories that await us. So one of the ways that you cultivate endurance in your life is know and understand the gospel. Know what Christ has done for you. Know the hope that awaits you in heaven. Know with all of your heart and being the joys that are endless to behold. And I promise you, the 80, 90 years here on this earth will pale in comparison to anything the millennia that are to come have to offer. Weak preaching and weak theology produces a weak hope and cultivates Christians who give up easily. Let us enrich our minds with the hope and the promise and let's take on this badge that is incomprehensible to the world. Number two, we see in this passage a follower in need of encouragement. A follower in need of encouragement. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, Peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul knows that Timothy needs encouragement. Timothy, you are loved. You're loved by God. I love you, Timothy. Loved by so many. You're valuable. Paul, who is known for his his bluntness in academia and his ability to be able to theologize and even confront the heretics and stand in the gap of truth, He warmly comes to Timothy and says, beloved child. Timothy needs just encouragement. Brothers and sisters, how often do we need encouragement? Do we need encouragement? We need encouragement to encourage one another, to build one another up and say, you are loved. You are seen. You are valued. And by the way, Timothy, remember where your identity is. Grace, Timothy, you stand on his work not on yours. You did not begin in grace and now complete it by works. You are now not valuable just simply because you are gifted. No, you stand on the grace of God. That's your identity. 
Mercy, Timothy, you have been pardoned. So ignore the lies of Satan, the condemnation that says all of these vindictive thoughts in your heart and mind. You've been given grace, mercy, and peace, Timothy. Peace with God. Peace to access him and talk to him at any point, at any point in the day. And Timothy, all of this comes from God himself, God the Father. It's amazing here that he says grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father. It is not like the first person of the Trinity, the Father, sits up in heaven and says, all right, Jesus, because you did that, I guess I'll let them into heaven. No. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father. You know what's going on? This is God the Father who leans in full of mercy and compassion and says, I want them to taste and see my goodness. I want them to experience my love. I want them to see me face to face. I want them to experience salvation. And so, Jesus, I send you. And Jesus says, Father, I willingly go because I want them to experience your grace and love. I want them through my blood to experience the freedom and holiness that we enjoy. And I'm going to gift them my Holy Spirit so that in the Holy Spirit, they can empower and boldness walk through this world as a guarantee that this spirit will seal them, complete them, and they will be brought safely home for all of eternity to enjoy our presence. This is, this is the Trinity working together for our joy and for the glory of God. They long, God longs to lavish on us his love. It's from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord as they work in concert together. But in Ephesus where the godlessness and the evil powers that reign. Here's a reminder in Timothy, Christ Jesus, our Lord. Don't ever forget, Timothy, who is in control. Don't forget, Timothy, that all authority in heaven and earth has been entrusted to Jesus Christ, who is Lord over all. Timothy, be encouraged. Press on. And then Paul offers a practical defense, number three. An incomprehensible calling, a follower in need of encouragement, and then Paul gives a practical defense on behalf of Timothy. Now, to do good biblical theology, we need to step back into the text and that culture of that time and the situation where Jews are actually some of the main opponents of the gospel, discrediting Timothy because his father was Greek, saying, Timothy, you don't know what you're talking about. And by the way, Paul doesn't know what he's talking about. What does Paul say? I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors. Who's he referring to? Abraham, Jacob, Moses, David, the prophets. Paul says, I want everybody to know, I stand in continuity with the Old Testament, with the faith of the fathers and the ancestors. What they look forward to, I preach now the revelation in the person of Christ. I am a Jew completed in Christ. And I want to remind you, Timothy, but also everybody else listening in, the sincere faith that first dwelt in you, in your, sorry, in your grandmother, Lois, and in your mother, Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you. Now, what is the significance of him bringing out these two ladies? Jewish ancestry was traced not through the father, but through the mother. You know who the mother is. You may not know who the father is. 
Jewish ancestry is traced through the mother. So what is Paul saying? Timothy is Jewish. He is qualified to speak on Jewish matters to Jews as a completed Jew. He stands in the continuity in the same faith that Paul shares, that the ancestors shared and now see and fulfilled in Christ. He gives a very practical defense so that Timothy is, affir- is affirmed, his lineage is affirmed so that he can speak to the Jews in a very particular way. Timothy is in a very interesting situation. Father being Greek, he understands the Hellenistic, the Greek world, but his mother's mother and grandmother being Jewish, he's able to speak authoritatively into behalf of, of Jewish matters. So it's a very practical defense, but that's not all there is here. Number four, Paul also gives a celebration of generational godliness. Paul celebrates generational godliness. Paul is longing to see Timothy. And he reminds Timothy of his lineage of godliness through his grandmother Lois, his mother Eunice, and then in Timothy, which by the way, all are Greek names, but they are themselves historically and ethnically Jewish. These are women who lived godly lives. They flourished their home with a sincere faith and fostered an environment that produced a world changer in Timothy, one who loved the faith and there in Ephesus is now standing as a bright light for the glory of Christ. It's a tragedy that grandpa is not even mentioned here, nor is Timothy's dad. They are absent. And yet there's something sweet here because we see the impact that a grandmother can have on her grandson or a mother on her adult daughter. And maybe you are a Eunice, my sister in Christ. Maybe you are in a single parent household and the dad is, we don't know where he's at or what he's doing or he's absent, whether spiritually or even physically. And now it has been charged with you to now raise up a godly lineage even by yourself. And this is not easy. Matter of fact, it'll be very challenging. But sister, take joy that in God's word, you are seen. That there is value here that yes, it is going to be a hard road. I'm not going to minimize that. But you can be a Lois. You can be a Eunice. And that through your faithfulness, there can be a fruit of godliness in your home. Brother and sister in Christ, if you come from a healthy marriage or a healthy family, don't you dare look down on that single parent home. But rather affirm the possibilities of what can still happen in that home for the glory of God. Be a Eunice. Be a Lois. Raise a Timothy. Raise a Priscilla. Pass on to the next generation. Number five, Paul writes, a reminder to live now in the power of Christ, Timothy. Live in the power of Christ. Fan into flame the gift of God. Now, why does he have to say that? Well, maybe maybe hardship, suffering, just simply the fatigue of ministry. Maybe the fire of Timothy's devotion has burned a little cool. Maybe Timothy was struggling in the sense that I just don't feel it. I don't feel the fire. The Apostle Paul says, Timothy, fan the flame. 
through the gift that I laid hands on you. Now, what is going on here? This is not some sort of mythical, magical laying on of hands. This is probably specifically speaking to the office of eldership, the laying on of hands of Timothy and saying, Timothy, fan into flame your affections to live out this office. But for all of us, whether elder or not, the affections of godliness have to be stoked. They have to be fanned. They have to be blowed upon. You need, you, need to, you need to lean down into the coals and blow in there and to try and ignite that flame because whether either by sin or outright neglect, if you're not careful, the flame of your faith can grow dim. Now, if you're in Christ, the fire cannot be extinguished. But the warmth of your faith can be reduced to a few smoldering coals. Choices with the world and choices with sin You can't extinguish the flame. If you are in Christ, then Christ holds you secure. But what you can do is you can throw so many cups of water on the fire of your affections that you cease to give off any warmth or light of godliness. Fan the fire of godly affections. The hotness of our spiritual fire has not to do with disposition, but rather the discipline, the discipline of daily fanning the affections of godliness. Tend the fire. Don't forget about it or the fire will grow dim. Brothers and sisters, it is hard. And you get up and you say, what's the point of doing my devos? What's the point of praying? What's the point of going to church and going through the motions? These are some of God's graces in your life to help fan the flame, ignite your heart, and then in the encouragement of the body to blow on one another's fires to ignite a conflagration that will hopefully give light and warmth to all around. You can tell, you can tell the heart aflame for Christ because people gather around to feel its warmth. What do you have? What's going on? The presence of godly affections brings light. It brings a sense of God's presence. Are you fanning those godly affections? Timothy, I know it's hard. I know it's hard. I know it's discouraging. I know you've been hurt. I know you've been betrayed, but fan those flames, Timothy. God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. At the cross, you were regenerated you are in Christ, you've been made new. You are no longer subject to the things of this world. Don't fear. Do you not know that the power of God and the Holy Spirit rests within you, Timothy? And the ability to fight off these sins and to bring self under control, the gift of the Holy Spirit is with you, Timothy. The battle is won. Now live it out. Live out the victory, even though the journey may be difficult. Perspective. Following Christ is not easy. There will be hardship. Suffering may not take the form of being crucified or being killed. But suffering may just take place in the everyday opposition in the workplace, in the family, the opposition of the spiritual world pushing against and making life hard, making life suffering so that you will give up and back off. Be not surprised. Be not surprised that when you go to the nations, that you go to a foreign place and a foreign world and a foreign power, 
Be not surprised when the adventure and the romanticism of learning the language and the people and the culture and the food and experiencing all of those things wears off and the reality of hardship sets in. But the question is, will you endure? We live in a historical anomaly. For the last 200 years, we can attend church without any type of retribution. Praise God that we have those freedoms still, and we pray that we have them for many, many more years. But the large majority of Christian history is there is a cost to show up on Sunday. That there is a cost to living out Christ. And I don't know how much longer we're going to have those freedoms. I shared earlier that we're running 22, 23, sometimes 2,400 on Sunday. When becoming a Christian and being a Christian is not a badge of derision and there is reality and retribution and even suffering for being here on Sunday, I wonder if 2,000 people will still show up. I don't mean that as a slight against you. I am calling you to challenge your heart. How much is Christ worth it to you? Are you willing to stand? You only make the decision now before that day comes. Are you willing to declare now? Even though the road is hard, I know in whom I have believed. To ring out with the Apostle Paul as he closes 2 Timothy in chapter 4, verse 18, he says with confidence, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed. He's going to bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Therefore, whatever happens in this world, so be it, because I know in whom I have believed and the hope that is waiting for me. So Satan and world, bring it on. Because of God before us, who can be against us? Heavenly Father, help us to be a people willing to endure suffering and hardship for the sake of Christ. Help us to encourage one another and build one another up and remind one another where we stand. And as we begin this study and looking at the hardships and the realities of the Christian walk, also teach us and conform our minds to endure, to suffer well if you call us to that so that the name of Christ might be exalted. Raise up another generation who are here not out of convenience, but out of covenant commitment to the name of Christ. Now empower us as we go forth. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.